You're listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Today, we are joined by Anthony Vicinio. He is the uh, co-founding partner of Inviticus Capital. Did I say that right, Anthony? Invictus. Invictus Capital. So I'm mm-hmm. um, super excited to have him on the show. He has a wealth of experience and uh, a, a really great network that I, I love to, to chat with. Um, Anthony, can you tell us your story, kind of where you came from, how you got into real estate, what you were doing before and what you're doing now? <laughs> Yeah. So like the, to know my story, you got to really understand two key things. One is I have severe ADHD. And (laughs) the second is that coming out of college, I had all these degrees, but I had no direction, no sense for what I wanted to do with my life. And what was clear was like my ADHD had put me in a position in life where I was a really bad employee. Like I was really lazy, unfocused, undisciplined, and I was getting fired all the time from like every job I ever had. And <laughs> so it was like clearly familiar your story, <laughs> right? Yeah. I think a lot of people can relate to this. So this is, uh, what was, what became clear was like, I had to find my own path through life. I was like, um, I was capable, I was competent, but I, I just couldn't hold a job. And so I went off and did my own thing for a number of years. And that, that included going and becoming a professional rock climber. And which sounds like I say that to most people and they go, Oh, that, that sounds cool. I'm like, ah, it just means I lived in the dirt and climbed rocks all the time. Like it was a good life that allowed me freedom to go do what I wanted, but it didn't put a lot of money into the bank, which became a problem later on in life. When I tried to marry a woman and her parents yeah. were like, how are you going to provide for her? I was like, <laughs> I was like, that's a good question. And that relationship um, was a turning point in my life because I started writing at that point, thinking I'll go be an author. I'll write science fiction and fantasy novels. That's going to put some money in the bank, right? Like that authors get paid a ton. They don't, but I, I actually had a fairly successful career. There was a lot of fun, um, but she ended up leaving me anyway, which like landed me like at a low point in my life where a buddy of mine saw me wallowing and he's like, dude, we got to get you out of this, this place. And you're like, I was living in a van for context. Like I was, I was homeless. I was was effectively homeless. So he's like, Hey, let's go build a business. I was like, I don't know anything about building businesses, but okay, let's try. And we built a high rise window washing company, which utilized our skills as rock climbers and our network of rock climbing friends. And that actually was pretty successful. And I was like, I like building businesses. This is cool. So for the last decade, that's what I've been doing is building different businesses. And uh, maybe six, seven years ago, I got into real estate because at its core, real estate is just each one of those little buildings. It's a small business. Once you understand how to increase revenues and how to decrease expenses to you know increase the value of these assets, like you can be very rewarded for for doing the work. And, but that's not how I started. Like my first asset was actually a triplex that I house hacked with an FHA loan. Um, so I started small, like I really wanted to learn the systems, but that, that project really illuminated for me, the weakness of small residential properties, which was, I bought it for 246,000. And then nine months later, it had appreciated to 375,000. So like $125,000 in nine months, I was like, I'm the best investor ever. No, not really. It was just it caught this wave of organic appreciation that made me look like a genius, but all it really did was everybody for realize, the last, everybody for the like, last 10 years. <laughs> exactly. And all, but all it did was like make, drove home. I was like, I didn't do anything. I didn't make the property better. I didn't run it better than the guy across the street. Like I didn't deserve this. It could have gone the other way and that would have been just as fair. And so that's what, that was the move. That was a, the impetus for moving to larger multifamily 
was like, I want to have that control of the valuation to some degree. And that's what I've been doing for the last six years is, you know, buying larger and larger multifamily. We focus on, I'd say 15 to 70 unit multifamily assets up here in the twin cities were vertically integrated. So we like to have as much control over the assets as possible. And so that's where we found our sweet spot. Okay. This sounds like a really ignorant statement, but where's the twin cities? Oh yeah. That's Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. So baseball fans out there, you know, the twins, the reason we're named the twins is because we have the twin cities. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, And that's not an ignorant question. Actually, I realized the other day I was at a conference um, and I said that and somebody's like, I don't know what that means. Twin cities. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm I'm on record not knowing what that means now. Mm. Uh, (laughs) So, um, what is, what, what was your, your model for this? You say, you say you're vertically integrated, which means you do the management, you source the deal. You, are you raising capital? I'm assuming this is syndication, um, structure. It's a mixed bag. I so from the vertical integration, we like to control as many different aspects, right? So we do have a property management company in-house, our own team runs the assets, leasing, the maintenance, construction, everything. Um, we, we do syndicate, we've syndicated for what, five deals now. Um, but it's an arrow in the quiver, just another tool in the box. Right. And we actually do the majority of our deals with our own money or with just one other partner as a joint venture. venture. We love joint ventures. Like uh, syndications are sexy. Everybody likes to say, but like, you can get into these things with no money and like, yeah, leverage to the moon. Like it's great. And we use that tool, but honestly, like JVs are so much easier and simpler. So like, we still do a fair amount that way. (laughs) I think the, the, the education environment, the education, you know, real estate education world and, and in selling everything to the public, you know, most folks don't have money. I mean, like on average, you know, most folks don't have money. So the idea of raising all the capital from other people is, you know, a lot more uh, palatable to the general public. Um, Most joint ventures, even if you locate the deal, I think usually, you know, the, the, your joint venture partners is probably going to want you to have some form of skin in the game. Is that, is that true? Do you find that? I mean, it, it depends on the partner and, and what it is that you're bringing to the table, right? Like every deal needs three things. It needs somebody who has the time, somebody who has the experience and somebody who has the capital. Not all of those have to come from the same person and not all of those have to even be filled by the same person. So you can bring multiple people to do the capital. But if you're new and you don't have experience or capital, all you have to bring to the table is time. You're not worth a lot to most people if they're bringing the experience and the capital. Um, So you got to find a way to put your skin in the game. And that if that is, you're going to be operating the deal because maybe you have some, some experience there, then the, then the operational um, success or failure of the deal kind of is your skin in the game to a degree. If you can like base it on, on that kind of sweat equity position. Can you, I'm trying to think of the way I want to ask this question. And I want you to demystify multifamily for the average listener. And from, you know, if, if, cause we have a lot of, a lot of multifamily investors here, a lot of syndicators and a lot of joint ventures. And they always talk about how great and how the, the large multifamily projects are. And they always talk about the economies of scale and the diversification of multiple doors and why, you know, why theoretically they are better than single family houses spread out or small multifamily houses spread out. But, you know, it's, it's easier for us to count the value assigned to a single family house, right? Like you just described that three, that threeplex, you're like, Oh, it went up $125,000 in value. And that was your, 
you know, you bought it with an FHA loan. So you probably had mm-hmm. like eight grand, 7,000 in, yeah. 7, yeah. <laughs> in it. And and then it appreciated $125,000. Like it's very easy for us to see like you and you alone made that much money with that much initial investment. Awesome. Home run. If you turned around and were able to sell it for that much, when you talk large multifamilies and you talk about your piece of the pie, because it takes a village, like these large properties, it's typically a team, right? So what kind of it financial impact can these larger properties have on you as an individual? It's massive. It's massive. You know, when we're talking about moving up in uh, scales of magnitudes, and a lot of times we talk about like, you know, a hundred units is better than one unit because if you have one vacancy in your single family home, you're hundred percent vacant, right? Like we know that one, but the other side of it too is that- That bugs me, by the way. I got a bone to pick with that. If you have a hundred single family houses- it's the same math as if you have a hundred unit apartment complex, right? Yeah. So, so the, the, the thing I'll point to there, which, you know, then we'll come back to the return side is, and I, this is a good question. Like I had a guy the other day asking me, he's like, uh, there's this hundred unit portfolio, hundred single family portfolio. Why shouldn't I look at that in the same way that I would look at a hundred unit apartment complex? And I was like, well, you got a hundred roofs, a hundred boilers, a hundred electrical systems. Like sure. you have a hundred times the complexity as you do. If all of that was in just one singular building now, like a hundred unit buildings, not typically just one building and you're not going to have one sure. boiler, but like the scale, it doesn't scale in the same way. And, and like from a management perspective, if you have a hundred single family homes, that's much Spread harder out. for your property management team to get to. Even if they're all in the same blocks, like it's still much, much harder than if it was all just consolidated. And so those are some things. What I would say too, is like the, the complexity of things like just even thinking about really simple things like your taxes, like keeping track of taxes on a hundred different single family oh, homes. I, <laughs> like, I know it. I'm, I'm going through <laughs> the night. I'm going through the nightmare right now. Cause, cause I do both, but I, I get the economies of scale and I get the ease of management, but, mm-hmm. but I, I hear that um, basically diversification of risk from vacancy risk example all the time. And yeah, I, that's a big one. I, I, I just like, again, I feel like, I mean, are you more likely to, is, is there, is there some like higher likelihood of having the vacancies filled in apartment complex against uh, single family spread out, or am I just as likely to have my hundred units filled as you are your hundred unit? That's a good question. You know, I think it's partly like who is the demographic that's going to be renting your single family home versus an apartment. Like typically, a hundred single family homes. If we're being really objective, those probably aren't all single bedrooms, right? And so, sure. if they're all like a two three bedroom home, then that's more like a 200, 300 unit apartment complex, right? In terms of like how many bodies you could put into it. But if you're looking at it from a leasing perspective, if I have a hundred units and they have, there's maybe five different floor pan- plans, I can do a virtual tour of those, and then my leasing agent can can stage, let's say we have 30% organic churn per year of tenants moving out and new ones coming in. That means we're going to have 30 new tenants having to come in. That's a little over two per month. So maybe I can do it more efficiently by having them all come to the same place and the same floor plans rather than saying like, oh, well, this house is a little bit different than that house. And this one you got to see to believe. And, And that's where like the single family is a little bit trickier. But again, like 
I, I love multifamily for a lot of reasons, but at the end of the day, like there's so many ways to make money in real estate. And it's not that one's better than the other. It's like, which one's going to work for you and your goals and your, your unique personality, right? Like you might really enjoy like having the single family homes, like and renting typically to a different demographic, right? That's going to be like probably more families. And if you have them grouped in a school district, like that, that could be really great. Whereas if you have all studios and single bedrooms in downtown, uh, you know, metro, metropolitan, that might be like students or like just a different sure. demographic entirely. So I think it's always important to start with understanding what is it that you're trying to achieve and then pick a lane. Like that's the best way to succeed that I found is like really sticking to a lane and becoming really good at that lane. If that's single families in bulk or multifamilies or self-storage, like that's great. There's lots of ways to make money, but yeah especially in the beginning, pick one and, and stick with it until you, until you master it, so to speak. That's great advice. And people come to me all the time and they go, well, what do you think? Are self-storage facilities, good investments? I'm like, yeah. They're like, well, why aren't you doing it? Are Airbnb's <laughs> good investments? Well, yeah. yeah. Why aren't you doing it? Like, dude, I only got so much bandwidth. If I start, mm-hmm. if I like try and stick my feet in, it, 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 I, I tell them all, it's something I would love to do one day. I just don't have time or really I don't have the attention span to focus on too many more things. Like I've got a lot of single family stuff going on and I've got a lot of large apartment stuff going on. And I feel if I start sticking irons in the mobile home parks and the single and the, and the self-storage facilities and the Airbnbs, like I'm just, I'm going to crumble, you know, just from mm-hmm. diversifying my attention that much. And and I do want to go back to the, um, the return conversation. I think my ADHD might be worse. That. <laughs> That's okay. But to that, like, and I, got, I can't let this last one go because like you have to, uh, the number one rule or like not the number one rule, but a great rule. If you want to be a successful investor is stay where you have a competitive advantage, invest where you have a competitive advantage. Warren Buffett talks about this in the sense of like, he didn't invest in Apple and Microsoft way back in the day. Cause he had no competitive advantage there. He didn't understand it. So he stayed where in bubble gum. He's like, I got a competitive, competitive advantage when you're new, you have no advantage yet. And so yeah, kind of have to pick a lane and start developing that competitive advantage. But at a certain point, like you become really good at multifamily or single family. It's like, I get, I could do storage, but that's not where my muscles develop. So I would have to go and relearn it. Whereas if I keep doing what I'm doing over here, I know it'll succeed. And that's like, we're lazy investors. We like to do the same thing over and over and over because as we do it more, it de-risks every single investment across the portfolio because we become incrementally better and more sophisticated at what we're doing. So that's how we look at it. And from a returns perspective, like, you know, you can make a hundred thousand on a single family home. When I shared that story about my, my triplex, but it, like in the multifamily assets that we're doing now, we're talking about orders of magnitude, larger returns, like in the millions at this point where, you know, that's, that's more life-changing money. But sure. the, the problem though is, again, you can make money in the single family, you can do it in the multifamily. In multifamily, you have more control over more of the variables that will lead to those higher valuations is what I found. Right. Like if you're in the single family market and it's all based off of comparables, that puts you a little bit at the whim of what other people are doing in that area with multifamily. Yes, there is the cap rate that we always have to be cognizant of. And that's a big lever. But at the end of the day, if we're improving how our operations are being run and we're making it more effective, uh, increasing the revenue, decrease expenses, which is easier said than done. But if you can do that, then you can be rewarded and know that your efforts are going towards the right place. And that's what I like is that skillful operations are rewarded um, in multifamily, whereas you can be a really great operator in single family and get completely hosed still. Sure. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I uh, I love the I love the mathematical component of of was what of multifamily versus the single family, which is kind of like what Karen down the street decided, you know, on an, at an emotional whim, she wanted to pay for that house. Yeah. Um, uh, so a- absolutely couldn't agree with you more there. So what um what is next for y'all? Um. Well, I mean, just keep doing what we're doing, keep growing and keep doing, like I said, we're boring, boring investors. And so one of our goals is just to like continue making a big impact. And what we love about multifamily is that we can impact hundreds of families with our communities, not just like our residents, which is great, but also our employees and our investors. And so that's how we look at like, how can we continue making a larger impact in the twin cities in particular? Um, something you said earlier, and I want to circle back to this because I was at a thing, I was at an event a couple of weeks ago that really rubbed me wrong. Um, and they were talking about how with syndicating and getting into big multifamily, you can do one deal and have financial freedom. And I was like, that. that's not, that's, that's not, not true. Like when I, <laughs> yeah. And I want to be clear, like when I'm talking about like, yeah, you can make orders of magnitude more in returns. Like you're, nobody's, nobody's getting rich off of one deal. Like that's not the way to be looking at this and the way that they were, this other group was pitching. It was like by charging a 5% acquisition fee, then at <laughs> closing, you're walking away. And I was like, 5% acquisition fee. Are you out of your mind? Like one, if you could get investors to go for that, why would you take advantage of them that way? Like, anyways, so I, I had a little bit of bone there. I wanted to, I wanted to point out like nobody's getting rich on these things on one deal. It's not get rich quick. It's get rich slowly, but surely. And if you put in the time, you put in the effort to learn it and master it, like you can do very, very well, but don't expect one deal or two deals or even three deals to do it for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I kind of came into the space with the mentality that I was, I was willing to sacrifice as much on the the first few deals as I could just as a resume builder, just Mm -hmm. to get into the industry um, to where, you know, we, we walked away with barely anything on our first deal just Mm -hmm. to, establish our, you know, our, our credibility and to learn the industry. Um, it, it actually performed way better than, than we had underwritten it. So, you know, everybody did okay, but we were certainly, um, I'd walked away from groups that had that mentality where they wanted to just feed it out on the front end. And, and I said, I'm trying to build a long-term business here. I'm not interested yep. in getting rich on that, that first complex, you know, and you had the right approach, right? Like you look at it and you might look and remember every deal needs time, experience, money, and you might not have reaped huge capital gains in those first couple of deals by, but you gained experience, which in the grand scheme, that is the most important thing. Because listen, like there's plenty of capital out there right now. If you're, if you're struggling to raise capital for your deals, it's because you're not very good at it and you haven't, you don't have the network yet, but it's out there. The hard part is having the deals and the expertise of what to do with the deal. Yeah. If you have that capacity, if you have the acquisitions flow and the operation flow, you are, you're a golden goose and you, you will have no problem attracting money. Um, yeah. But it takes time, but the, 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 it's a variable of skill. Like it takes time to learn how to run those assets. And so spending your first three or four deals, building up that expertise, it pays dividends for the rest of your life. Absolutely. Tell me about that book you just wrote. You just wrote a book for passive investors. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of resources out there for people that want to do what we do, like being an active investor and going and buying and managing. And there's not as many resources for people who don't have any interest in that, but they do want to invest in real estate, particularly if that's through syndications, you know, and, and I, I have seen the power 
of syndications and passive investing just in my own inner circle. And so we are on a mission just to keep spreading that myth, that that word so people are aware of it. And so we wrote a book called Passive Investing Made Simple, just trying to point out that, you know, at the end of the day, real estate is not complicated. Like we can make it complicated, but it's pretty simple. There's very few levers. And for the passive investor to, to get involved and, and realize that like this is available to more people than they even realize. Like, here's what you need to know, how to vet an operator, how to vet a market, how to vet a deal. Once you understand those things and you don't have to go super deep, like you need to understand them well enough um, to be able to sniff out the bullshit. But besides that, like you don't need to master this stuff. And so that's what the book is really geared towards. And most of the time, the operators do your homework for you. They'll give you, you know, yeah. they'll give you a presentation. Go, hey, this is why we like the market. Uh, this is our mm-hmm. experience. You know what I mean? And this is what our business plan with the deal is. Exactly. And like the main thing, and you, you know, this Sterling is like the number one thing for us passive investor to do is vet the operators. Like because my my favorite line is that numbers don't lie, but I can make it say whatever I want. And Dude, so if you don't trust true. me, you can't <laughs> trust my numbers, right? So yeah. like, don't even worry about my numbers and the market research, like focus <laughs> yeah. on me as an individual. What makes you think you can trust me? And if you can't trust me, I'm not the guy for you because everything yeah. else downstream, like if you think you're going to make up for it by doing extra due diligence on the deal or the market, like now nah, you're already swimming upstream. So find the operator, spend all your time on that and then trust Because at the end of the day, like you're betting on the jockey, not the horse, right? right. Because the horse is important. That's the deal. The jockey though is the operator and a world championship operator isn't going to get on a horse that they don't think they can sure. win the championship with. Right. Like I don't play sports. I'm not a big sports guy, but you look at Tom Brady who are like, love him or hate him. Like that guy made a shift from a winning team to another team, but he didn't just go to a losing team. Like he's like, right. I think I can win with this team. Right. And so that's what you're doing is like, cause at the end of the day, like you give, you can give a, um, a great operator lemons, they're going to make you some delicious lemonade. But if you give a bad operator lemonade, they're more likely just to spill it on the ground. And now you have lemonade on the floor. So bet on the operator. Absolutely. You mentioned y'all, y'all uh, operate in the twin cities. Did, have you ever considered expanding out? Did you, did you pick the twin cities for a particular reason or is that just where you're from or, or what, what was hmm. that the reasoning around your market selection and where y'all typically like to operate? So that was fortunate for us. It's our backyard and we're control freaks. So we like to be in control of the assets. We want to go see it. We want to run it. We want to be the, 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 the people who are responsible for how it's functioning. And so we're just fortunate that the Twin Cities are actually an incredible market for investing. If we, I mean, I started my investing career when I lived in San Francisco back in 2011. I picked up a couple of things, but it's, that's a hard market. Minneapolis is much, much better um, and we're control freaks. And so that's why we built the property management company in-house. Now we do someday want to look at other markets. Um, but again, it's staying in your lane and staying where you have a competitive advantage. It's our backyard. You can't compete with us here. Like a broker calls us, Hey, we have a deal. Can you get over here? I can be there in less than 10 minutes, right? I like see. I'm getting that deal, not you. And so say that all the time. <laughs> I, I, and I love how you, I, I love how you carp on that, where you have a competitive advantage. Cause it makes me feel, here's my dilemma. I live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And, and when you think of all the key economic indicators that, that direct you and where you want to invest in multimillion dollar assets and large multifamily, 
that that are poised for markets for long-term growth. South Louisiana doesn't check a single box. Like it, it fails the <laughs> it fails the litmus test across the board. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, population growth, job diversity, poverty, crime. I mean, every every single thing you could look at it it goes down. That being said, I have a very successful multifamily business here because mm-hmm. I know. I know it like the back of my hand. And like, if somebody emails me or calls me with a deal, like I already know, like, I don't even have to go there. I just know if I want to own something on that street and I can Mm -hmm. immediately respond with an offer, like before anybody else has a chance to even go look at it or think about it. You know, I desperately, and now that being said, we do our large multifamily projects outside of this market. We, we, you know, use the ideology I just talked about Mm-hmm. when selecting those markets and, and those work out great. But, but I mean, I, I would like to diversify my single family business outside of, of Louisiana, but, but I, I can't like, I, I cannot take that competitive advantage. Like there's no market mm-hmm. that I know as well. You know what I mean? People send me stuff. Like I'm on all these lists. I get stuff from North Alabama. I get stuff from Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I get stuff from the Carolinas. I get stuff from Florida. And I'm like, man, I would, love something in one of those markets, but I have no idea if that is like the center of the hood or, you know what I mean? And I'm, Mm -hmm. it's weird because to go look in an apartment complex, I'll hop on a plane in a second, I guess, because it's like a huger payoff. But when like one of those little deals come across my desk, I'm not going to fly to, you know, can't justify it. It, I'm not going to fly to Tennessee to go look at a $150,000 house. Nope. Nope. And, and what that ends up doing, and like, if you remember at the beginning of the show, I said, we focus on like 15 to 70 units and that's intentional. It's not because we don't want to go bigger. It's because the, the guys who are coming in from out of town and institutional money, they can only justify doing that by coming in at like 80 units or above. And the people who are small, like the little mom and pops who can't imagine doing a deal for a million or $2 million, they're not looking at 15 to 20 units. And so we have this forgotten middle that we can be very competitive in. Um, and, and that's why we like it. And like, yeah, we, we always say if we were to move into another city, it has to be at a sufficient scale where we can justify having property management from day one that we control. And then two, we have to have a boots on the ground partner who knows that market, like the back of their hand, that they already have the relationships because you know, this Sterling is like, it takes a long time to build those broker and seller relationships. But once sure. you do the deals, they come so easily and quickly. Like we don't even use brokers 90% of the time because we know all the sellers and they're like, I'm ready to sell this thing. I'm an old guy. I want to cash out. Will you take it? I'm like, sure. Like we want partners who have those types of relationships in a market. And it just takes time. And right now, like our time is better spent focusing where we're at. Awesome. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with the the Jake and Gino crowd. I, I, I know, I know I started the call like before we got on the call and said, you know, I didn't want a sales pitch for, for a coaching program because I've had a lot of those lately. That being mm-hmm. said, I love Jake and Gino and the community and I've had Gino on the show. I've had Josh on the show. I've had Dylan on the show. I've had most of those guys at one point or another and I've been to their training. I think they're rock star guys. And I also mm-hmm. very much so believe in, and I want to say this on record. I know I already told you, so I'm repeating myself, but I very much believe in coaching. And, and though I've never paid for it, cause I just like to learn things the hard way, but um, I know so many successful people that, that have, have said, Hey, I said, where did you get where you're going? Like, well, I paid $25,000 to Joe Fairless and he uh, showed me exactly what to do. And two years later I had 500 units 
And I'm like, okay, can't argue with that. Like I've heard the story 50 times in a row, you know, yeah. I've heard the story like as much as I wanted, like, you know, shit on the gurus and the hokey, you know, se- uh, selling the program. I can't argue with the results. And I've just interviewed too many people who mm-hmm. have said, that's what I did. And the, here's where I am. And I'm like, well, you're light years ahead of me. So I am not the one to judge your path. Um, so, but just tell it, I know that I, 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 you're associated or affiliated with them in some way. I, mm-hmm. I think that's how I, I was introduced to you. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So at the, I'm a coach for Jake and Gina and like, I'll preface this by saying one, I, I don't get any kickbacks or any, I don't have any program to sell anybody. So like this, I'll tell my story here and it might resonate with some people is that I coach for the group now, but when I joined the group over two years ago, it was because my partner, Dan and I, we had done a lot of deals with our own money and as joint ventures, but we had never syndicated a deal. And we joined the group, not so much for the education, but because we wanted to have an expert, somebody who has been there before uh, down the syndication route, taking passive investors' money, we wanted them looking over our shoulder to say, you're, you're about to do something stupid. You know, like, because we owed it to our investors to do everything in our power to do right by them and to level up our skills. And for me, like you can join a group, whether it's Jake and Gina or any other educational group, like to get the education um, or the network, like those are really powerful things. Like at the end of the day, the three most important investments that you can make is one in yourself because you're the asset that is driving your life. Every improvement you make to your skill set pays dividends forever. And so joining a group can do that because you're sharpening your skills. Number two is investing in your network. And this is the part where I think a lot of people get tripped up. They're like, oh, I go to LinkedIn and I'm networking at this local meetup group that's free in the back of a a Buffalo wings. And it's like (laughs) people who show up to free events are not the people that you probably want to be doing really big transactions with. So if you want to get in the room with big hitters, you generally have to pay. And that's a way that people go, uh, you know, for myself, like I, if I go into a room and I know everybody has paid $10,000 to be in that room, it's already pre-vetted them. So I I know everybody here I can potentially work with because they're legit. And number three is investing in your community, which I think Jake and Gina, put a really big emphasis is why I like them. They're very family oriented and like how to give back to the community at large. I think that's massive. And so whether it's Jake and Gina or any other group, like really be looking at what are you doing and don't be afraid to spend money on leveling up yourself or your network, because those two things, they're going to pay huge dividends on a long, long enough time frame. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, look, I want to hop over to our radio round, help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. Just a couple quick questions. Um, the first one is what's your favorite book? Um, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. That book, if you've never read it, it's all, you know, stoic philosophy. He's the last great emperor philosopher. It's a, his personal journal, just to himself, a guy who's running the world, trying to figure out what's it mean to be better today than he was yesterday. Like, how does he live up to his full potential and reading the thoughts of a person from thousands of years ago that are still relevant, like all the same things that we struggle with today. It's like, it's once really refreshing to know that humans, we don't really change all that much. Um, but two, it's also just a really a fantastic, uh, just fantastic tidbits and nuggets to, to live your life by. Absolutely. Love that. I have a, uh, my, my dad was big into the stoic um, philosophies and Very for cool. Christmas, he bought me this little daily calendar and about oh, every nice. other, about every other, you know, day is a quote from meditations mm-hmm. or, 
you know, from Seneca or, or one of the other ones. But uh, yeah. what I'll do is I'll read it every morning and then and then incorporate it into my my journaling. So that's brilliant. Love it. Um, what's your favorite quote? Oh man, I had no. I forgot That's to hard tell one. you. I know. I know. I'm sorry. I always tell people ahead of time because it's, it, it, it does. That's a hard, there's so many far. to choose from. Right. And then you, you, you like you, a lot of people like, damn, I got one on the tip of my tongue. I just can't remember it. You know? <laughs> um, so my bad, I didn't, I didn't give you a heads up before we started. Um, so. No, that's okay. Like, honestly, if you spend any time with me, I I'm a quote machine. I'm just like, I, I don't have anything original to say generally. I'm just requoting everybody else around me. But one quote that I think is really, really beneficial, especially where multifamily investing is concerned or entrepreneurship is play long-term games with long-term people. And this is from Naval Ravikant. When you play long-term games, like you're mentioning before, you didn't care about really cashing in on those first couple deals because you're playing the long game and you're taking the long approach with the people who also have that vision don't surround yourself with people who are only looking for the next transaction, the next deal. Look beyond that to 10, 20, 30 years and say, do I still want to do business with this person when I'm old and crusty? Because if you do, if you surround yourself and you focus on just doing long-term games, with long-term people, the game gets so much easier and so much faster and you lose so much less sleep at night because you're not worried. Is that person going to screw me over? Absolutely. That's awesome. Awesome and insightful. Well, what's your favorite thing to do outside of work? I play a lot of chess. I play too much chess. Um, <laughs> okay. So don't hear that thing. one. Every, I don't <laughs> yeah. hear that one every day. Yeah. <laughs> that and rock climbing. I mean, and tennis. I got, I got really into tennis during COVID. That is a perfect COVID activity. You and a buddy stand on opposite sides of a court and hit <laughs> stuff with a stick. It's great. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I love it. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell our listeners how to get in touch with you, how to learn more about you, how to follow you and get advice from you or invest in your deals? Yeah. yeah you can check us out at InvictusMultifamily.com if you want to learn more about what we do on the real estate side. Otherwise, just Google my name, Anthony Vecino. I'll, I'll pop up. Um, find me on pretty much any of the social medias. If you want to connect, if you have questions, or you just want to chat and exchange some Marcus Aurelius quotes, just yeah, reach out. Awesome. Anthony, I really did enjoy it. And I look, uh, I look forward to keeping up with you on your journey and hopefully uh, catching up with you at one of these events soon. Yeah, I appreciate it, Sterling. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at RentRollRadio.com or Sterling at CrestworthCapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.